this is my dear friend, Kevin Palau. Um, uh, Kevin is uh, the president of the Palau Association. Um, I've been doing work uh, with the Plows now for like five years, I think, yeah. And f friends for, for over, since Dorapo began. Um, and uh, Kevin is an amazing man. I would say that one of the reasons that, Do that Portland, uh, Ian and I just had the opportunity, we spent all week with um, Tim Mackey at Mount Angel, and it was about 50 pastors from the Portland area all studying uh, the book of Exodus with Tim uh, for four days straight. Uh, but a lot of the reason those relationships exist is a, because of the work that Kevin's done on really helping churches connect. And I think the reason that it works so well is because he's kind of a neutral party. He's not a pastor at a church. And so he just, he cares a lot about the relational work of churches together, especially in a city like Portland. Man, we need that. Um, but the reason I invited him to come tonight is because the last topic, and tonight's going to be more of an interview. I'm just going to ask Kevin questions um, in is is really around uh, each week we've been kind of looking at things that sort of align with our pillars like we started with prayer uh, with Tyler's day and we had what how do we pray together as a community what does that look like we had Brett interviewed Tim Mackey on the Bible and community and the importance of being grounded in Scripture uh, we had a conversation with Mel about the Holy Spirit as a community. Um, and man, what a cool thing to have the whole, everyone come forward to pray, um, allow us to pray over you that you receive the love of God poured out on you by the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we, I talked with Darcy about hospitality and we are like, is that really central to Door of Hope? And I'm like, if we're an evangelistic church, yes, it absolutely is. We want people to actually come in the doors at this place or into our community groups and we want them to experience the name of our church. We want them to experience hope. We want them to experience the love of God. How do we make them feel welcome so that their hearts would be open to that message? Um, we followed up uh, after that with, uh, with a, a really um, awesome conversation with Brett about, um, about men and women uh, in, in how God wants to use us together uh, to bring about that gospel. The, the, the spirit is equally gifted. Uh, men and women to do the work of ministry, but that there is distinctions and those distinctions should be celebrated when we shouldn't be afraid of them, nor should we feel pressure from culture. And it was a really awesome talk. And that was the only one where I was nervous. <laughs> so, but Brett wasn't, and she was amazing. Um, so, so tonight I want us to close with, we exist for the good of those outside of our walls. Um, and Kevin has a real heart for if we want to be effective in bringing the gospel, the, the Palau Association is an, an evangelistic association. Um, it, it needs to be connected. The cities that we go into that we want to reach uh, need to know that we actually care about them. And so, Kevin, I think it'd be really cool if we just began, if you kind of shared your journey of, of, of how you kind of came up with CityServe. And yeah. I, I don't even know like what the origin of it, like how you, that, that was birthed out of a... Cause before that, it was a purely evangelistic, yeah. kind of festival-driven. Yeah, the, the quick story, um, my dad, if some of you don't know, my dad, who died a couple years ago, is with the Lord, uh, was the Billy Graham of Latin America. And we, my mom's a native Oregonian. They met at Multnomah. It was called Multnomah School of the Bible back then, 1960. They got married. So Portland's been home all these years. And for decades, our model was, if you know anything, some of you are like, don't even know who Billy Graham was. But if you know who Billy Graham was, 
uniting the church to go present the gospel. We did that for years and years and years, but we'd never done anything in Portland. And 15 plus years ago, we had about 100 pastors together at our offices in Beaverton praying. And the, the verse that the Lord led that group of pastors to uh, was Jeremiah 29.7, which says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I think for a lot of um, Jesus followers in Portland or the Portland area, you can feel like you're in exile. And um, so it was a verse that was meaningful, both in acknowledging, if we're honest, we sometimes feel the temptation to do the very things that the verse doesn't say to do, but that we tend to do, either to withdraw and create our own Christian bubble and subculture, which is not always evil, but to basically withdraw and say, I'm just going to wait for deliverance, or to kind of fight and attack. And uh, the people of God in exile then got the message that they maybe weren't expecting and maybe didn't want to hear, but it's actively seek the shalom of this place, Babylon, where I carried you into exile. So, so that was what was permeating our minds as we were getting ready to do something we hadn't really done before, and that was to say, what would it look like to unite hundreds of churches in the Portland area to both love and serve the community as well as to share the good news. And the love and serve the community was not part of the model we had received from the Graham organization, but there was just a clear sense that in a place like Portland, to simply do a, a, an outdoor proclamation of the gospel with Toby Mac and Lecrae, et cetera, et cetera, wasn't gonna be enough. You could get, you could get a crowd of Christians there, mm -hmm. but we felt like there would be, there's gotta be some way we could actively love and serve the community. So this group of pastors deputized my dad and I to go see the mayor of Portland. At the time, the mayor was a guy named Tom Potter, former police chief, but he was on his way out and the, the mayor-to-be was Sam Adams, who has been in the news off and on, but um, former mayor. At the time, he was the first openly gay mayor-elect of a top 25 city. So that was a big deal in Portland. Some of you were around, some of you maybe weren't around then. But we went to see Sam, and um, to his credit, we, Dad and I were a little nervous because we didn't know him, we'd never met him, we weren't sure what his reaction would be. And as we got to know him, he was, he was cautious because his experience uh, as an openly LGBTQ plus leader with evangelicals had not been that positive. But to his credit, he met, and we basically, we didn't use this verse explicitly, but we basically communicated to him as a group of pastors and leaders, we're really embarrassed that we've lived here for decades. We've never even sat and had a meeting with you. And we acknowledge the fact that as a Christian community, we were known more for what we were against than what we were for. And he, of course, nodded and said, yep, I know I could name all the things you guys are against. I don't have any idea what good, he didn't say this. He said this later as we became friends. He said like, yeah, I had no clear sense of what good you could possibly be doing. So us coming humbly saying, we're embarrassed that we've not had this conversation. We acknowledge that we're known more for the negative than the positive. The only way we can think to make it kind of begin to change that narrative is to legitimately come and say, we think we can mobilize 15,000 Jesus followers. I don't know where the number came from. That was not probably a wise thing to do, to like commit to a number with no basis for it. But we felt like there was, we just by faith said we could do that. And um, so we asked for his help to identify what could thousands of Jesus followers from 
several hundred churches across the area. What could we do in this six-month period of time from like uh, spring and summer of 2008, building up to a waterfront park evangelistic festival? But in our minds, it's like if thousands of Jesus followers are actively loving and serving our public schools and the foster care system and the refugee community and the houseless, that's got to be better for relationship building. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was thinking of it mostly from the perspective of, as an evangelistic organization, the hardest thing is to get believers into genuine relationships of trust with people that aren't already part of our community. And so we thought it just seemed like common sense. Serve a school with your neighbors. Go adopt one of the Department of Human Services offices and do a makeover and things like that in partnership with other people. So it took off way more than we could have expected. We had a gathering with 500 pastors and leaders at the church that I've been to my whole life, Cedar Mill Bible Church in Beaverton. Sam came. We wanted him to come as mayor and kind of help cast the vision. We thought that would be kind of a cool thing for him to say as the mayor, we need your help. Like the city, and of course, if you look back 15 years ago, the city was a paradise, right? It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like sad to think that for 15 years we've now been working in the city and it's way, it looks way worse than it did when we began. But at the time, um, Sam came and he basically just said like, we need your help. Um, he got a standing ovation from the pastors, not because they were saying we agree with everything the city's doing, but they were so kind of pleased that the mayor would say, we need your help. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a sweet season. And uh, with about a year of preparation, not 15,000, but like 28,000 Jesus followers participated in hundreds of service projects from transforming Roosevelt High School. It, it, it was a crazy, in a good sense, season of uh, actively engaging, and, and so many things came out of that season, including what we now call Embrace Oregon, uh, or Every Child, that is, which is across most of the counties in Oregon, the Department of Human Services uh, is in deep partnership with the churches and others to make a difference in foster care. It's amazing what's happened as a result. So, it, But it all began with that seeking the shalom of the city, and one thing just led to another. Yeah, I remember going to New York with you and Sam, and. Sam and I went out to dinner and I kind of probed him a little bit about the experience. But what was fascinating too is the witness to him because he told me that he started going to a church right. after that yes. and was like, you know, I mean, in his mind, he's like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm really open to it. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah it's like, like Anglican or something yep. like that. Yep. Uh, but so, you know, I can't, we started Door of Hope uh, 14 years ago. And I remember it was kind of at the peak of that, and I was close with you guys, but I was also, I was getting a lot of pressure to, like, what are you gonna do to serve the city? Um, and, uh, and, you know, there was like, so we need to start community gardens, we need to clean schools, we need to, and I'm like, I oh, mean, I just wanna establish first and foremost that we're a preaching church. Um, and, the, and part of that was because uh, there, was, there was a discomfort that I was experiencing where I saw that there were a lot of people where that became their full Christian identity was the service. So you kind of went on a journey of where there was an emphasis, like, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure, if, if, I'm curious if you could share a little bit of like working alongside your father right. and that, that um, and kind of where you saw the dangers of, of service overtaking the gospel, um, because I know there's been a lot of Christians that are like leery of it, like, hey, that's not what we're primarily called to. And then there's always been Christians like, we're not doing enough in the city. 
and it's like you kind of feel like you can't please everybody. And I don't I don't think it's a it's an, an either or. I think it's a it's a both it's a both and. So yeah, absolutely. And the the the, the quick journey was you know we had this massive effort of serving the community. We had the festival down at Waterfront Park, 25,000 people there each of the days. Sam Adams, we invited him as mayor-elect to come and on the stage and basically kind of to thank those that had served and also use it as a platform to say, hey, keep serving in various ways. And Sam was there on the stage and he assumed that the unity of the churches and that this ongoing effort to serve the community was just gonna continue forever and ever, which was not part of our model at all. We'd never thought for one second that anything would continue because it just wasn't part of what we did. So Sam on the stage basically assumed it and said, this was the best community service effort in the history of Oregon. I can't wait to keep doing this year after year. And I remember being backstage with Rick McKinley from Argo Day and looking at each other saying like, what does that even mean? Like we have no, there's no organized way to do that. But so that launched this, this real passion and desire to say, yes, let's do continue that. Let's, by that point, we discovered dozens of churches that were partnering with public schools. And so we said, like, what would it be like to get every single church to, be, to partner with a public school? And we got to a point where 70% of the public schools, not only in Portland public schools, but Beaverton and Gresham, Aloha, et cetera, um, had a partner. That began the foster care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this unified movement of churches that we now call Together PDX, really got legs around the service part. And, and I personally got a ton of, if I'm honest looking back, I got a lot of personal identity, I think, based around that. It, it meant a lot to me to be genuinely friends with the mayor and every city commissioner and county commissioner and school superintendent. There was, there was kind of this growing favor where the evangelical church was viewed, and I'm not saying there was anything wrong with this, it was a blessing that the church uh, was seen more for the good that it does. And of course, the church has always served. It's just usually done it in quiet, behind-the-scenes ways. And this gave an opportunity to kind of elevate, share best practices, etc. But my dad, as an evangelist, and my brother Andrew, who now is the evangelist with his wife Wendy with the Palau Association, their kind of evangelist spidey senses were tingling a little bit. And they, they were a little nervous about, like, is this mission drift a bit for us as an organization? They would always be quick to say, like, it's amazing. We absolutely need to love unconditionally. All these things are great. But where's the gospel in this? And I would get very defensive. when Anytime they would try to bring it up, like before they even got the words out of their mouth, I would sense it coming, and I would kind of dish it back out. And, and they, would, they would back off because, you know, there's only so much you can do when you can tell someone's not open to it. So for years, the movement of the churches, again, that we call Together PDX now, was 100% about pastoral unity, and praise God, for 15 years, there really is a sweet favor and relationship, you've seen it, mm -hmm. between many, many, many dozens and dozens and dozens of churches genuinely know each other, love each other, and feel like we're together for the city. And the things that have happened on the foster care side, the Refugee Care Collective, which began as a result of all this, the new Houseless Care Collective, I mean, it's, it's amazing what happened. But only about three years ago, I had a Holy Spirit moment myself, actually at Mount Angel. Tim Mackey was there. I think I, I, I was there. You were there too, exactly, yeah. that's right. You were there too, and we were kind of introducing ourselves, and it was supposed to, be, I think, just to be like a, who are you and what, what's your church or ministry? And I went into like a five-minute with almost, I think I was almost weeping at that point, talking about 
my burden for our oldest son who was not walking with the Lord and a bunch of guilt and shame I had about some things like that. And during that season, I felt like the Lord really spoke to me in many ways. And one of them was a real revelation of my own personal waning of a heart for evangelism, which is matched by many, many other people in a place like Portland where it's much easier to work for justice and serve the community because that's common good, it's common ground, it's, it gives a place of ability to talk common language with people, to repent of the hurt done by the church to people. Like everyone's gonna applaud that and it makes it seem like you're repenting of maybe everything, including what the Bible teaches about everything and maybe of the gospel itself. So that, that Holy Spirit moment really, I don't know how else to describe it, but it was just like scales coming off my eyes and, and realizing and having to humble myself with my dad and brother to say like, you've been right. I didn't quite see it, but, I, but my passion for evangelism has really, really waned. And that led to me calling Kirk Peterson, who's the head of Alpha locally. I'm on the board of Alpha USA. And just saying, like, we've got to form a team of, um, of evangelists and evangelistically passionate people so that as we continue to serve the community, public schools, foster care, refugee care, the houseless, more the better. And there's, these aren't pitted against each other, but we've got to have a team of leaders that wake up every day by gifting, by design, that with a, just that burning passion, nothing's more important than sharing the good news of Jesus in whatever format. Some people go downtown and literally will have words of knowledge, knowledge and just preach to people at Pioneer Courthouse Square. I'm too nervous to do things like that, but God bless people that do that, all the way from Alpha and other sorts of things. So I think it's just recovering a very biblical and healthy balance. These things aren't pitted against each other, obviously. Mm -hmm. Most of you are probably thinking that's the most obvious thing in the world. Why would they ever be pitted against each other? But it's, it is, I would say it's harder in Portland to, to maintain that passion to try to find your own way to share the good news. It doesn't have to fit a certain model, but to be intentional, to be prayerful, to be asking God for open doors, to actually intend or even maybe get out of your comfort zone and actually find a way to say the name of Jesus or to pray for someone when they have a problem rather than just saying like, hey, I'll, I'm, you know, I'll be thinking of you or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, I often was struck by that is I think that the danger that I, that I saw is that when you're doing good, uh, and you're making a difference and and it's coming out of your church your church is encouraging you to do this so this is like and it creates Christian identity um, but I think it's also quick it's kind of a group think type of thing where it's like we're doing good we're serving people we're making a difference and in, in our in a place that's dark and we want we want people to know that they're loved that all of a sudden if they feel loved and we're actually doing things we don't even stop and ask the question well is that actually the supreme goal of the church um and i actually i've kind of tried to put my finger on where the idea that service and evangelism are like two sides or justice excuse me and evangelism are are um, two sides of the same coin. And, and I, I realized that, that it was John Stott, actually, um, that popularized, and I actually think it was a misstep. He said, um, justice and service is one wing of the plane of the church, and, and the Great Commission is the other wing. I think the Great Commission is the plane. <laughs> and, and 
there's a whole, I, I don't even think a plane's the right analogy. I think the Great Commission's the sun and all the things that we do to make that thing happen are the rays, you know? So, um, and I feel, I feel like that's a beautiful thing that I, uh, why I love, why we as a church support the Palau Association, why I do so much for them is that I love that, that commonality. It goes down to Paul's own words, you know, do everything to live peaceably um, with the people where you're at, you know, and people say, well, Paul was pro-slavery. He wasn't pro-slavery. He just, that wasn't his focus. But what Paul did do is he preached the gospel and he called people to love and serve the communities in such a way that all of a sudden now slaves were being treated like brothers and sisters in the church. And so, and so I think that that, that balance is kind of, for me, it's like, I feel like Door of Hope's become a church that's so grounded in gospel that we actually need, we need to not be afraid to be engaged in service. It's not, that's not, in fact, it's, I think it's an essential part of people being open to the gospel. Well, it reminds me of a, this, this whole issue of, of the service and evangelism. I mean, for years, if, if people would occasionally say, well, you do, you know, wow, you're telling all these stories of this amazing service and schools, et cetera, are people coming to Christ? And, I would, and you know, as a result, um, and, and I would just say, well, my assumption is that people are, as they're out loving and being the hands and feet of Jesus, they're just naturally going to talk about Jesus and share their faith, though it's hard. But I remember a conversation, the first time I sat down with Carol Smith, who at the time was the Portland Public School Superintendent, when we were first having this launch of this CityServe effort, and her concern was proselytizing. You know, she sat down, she's like, hey, you know, the schools desperately need help. We would love to see thousands of volunteers in the churches, but I'm really concerned about this proselytizing because in her mind, every Christian is like a fire breathing. You cannot stop them. You know, they're a street preacher. They're hand, they'd be handing out tracts everywhere. And I kind of <laughs> laughed and said, like, if that's your concern, you don't know our people at all because we could not pay them to talk about Jesus. Like, they are petrified. And... Uh, which is a very sad which, thing. Which is a sad thing. So, and, and so I, I gave her my card and said, here's my cell phone. If, as these churches are, you know, as we're recruiting churches to serve in the schools, if you have any problem with somebody, like, crossing the line and not, you know, obeying the rules, so to speak, which is like, hey, during school hours, that's not the time to be preaching the gospel, people. Well, of course, I've had that conversation with many, many school superintendents. I've never gotten a call, which, like you say, is I kind of expected I don't think that's typically our problem as Jesus followers in Portland is that we are overly aggressive and cannot be stopped from sharing the good news. We know the problem is the opposite is everything about the culture blows this cold wind in our face that kind of makes us feel like I don't really have the right to say anything or I, maybe I should be kind of a little bit embarrassed about what I believe. It's so countercultural. I don't know the art. I, I couldn't argue. Uh, it's, it's easier to just say, I'm just going to pray, hope that God, by his spirit, supernaturally saves people, but I'm not going to do or say a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I found that the, in the early, I've shared this before, but the early days of Door of Hope, I remember, I, I totally remember um, this, this girl that was working at Stumptown coming up to me and like, you're not going to believe it, but my coworker who I've worked with for three years is also a Christian. I just found out. And I was like, isn't that cool? And I was like, that's not cool. You worked with another Christian for three years and you just now found out that they're a Christian. What, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, but it, but there, we, there is a fear uh, of gospel. And I think that this is where it's like, Christians don't want to just go to church and do nothing. So it's like, 
well, I don't want to talk about Jesus, but if I do something good, it's going to ease that nagging voice of conscience. And I think that, um, that like, we can't fall the other direction. We're like, well, that's not what it's about. And it's like, because we're not going to cloister ourselves from the world either. And so, I, Kevin, I would love to ask, before we open it up to some questions, if you guys have questions, um, uh, what, what are ways that, like, what are things coming up that we could be involved involved with as a church um some things because you're always in contact with the yeah. mayor's office and yeah. um what are you what are you obviously i mean we you brought me in on a conversation not that long ago with the mayor about yeah. about um just the homeless crisis and tent cities and they were wanting the church to clean them up and i'm like i'm not gonna lie i was the snarky one i'm like well i'll clean it up if you promise to not let it come back um, which it doesn't generally happen, <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, what, what are ways, uh, what are, what are, are there conversations that you're having right now and things that yeah. are being planned? Yeah. So, so under this thing called together PDX, and if, and if you're interested in finding out at any given point, like what's happening collaboratively, you know, is our Bridgetown and Imago and Door of Hope and Rose Church and Cedar Mill Bible Church and, and, uh, Sunset Prez and River West and all these churches and more working together. Yes, that's amazing news. So under togetherpdx.org, you can always kind of find out what's going on. Uh, and there's a serve PDX team that's made out of, made up of, of the outreach pastors of a lot of these same churches that would say, when, we, when we're faced with an issue, so when um, President Trump was elected and the city was in an uproar and there was a real conversation around uh, refugees, that group of leaders got together and quickly said like, let's build relationships with those agencies that bring in refugees and have a collective response and how do we serve. So the Serve PDX team, um, we met with the mayor um, and some of the staff in the mayor's office about a year ago. Uh, and of course the houseless crisis continues unabated, but at least now the city is like making some tangible steps. They've declared um, that they're going to be doing the hard work of, of clearing up some of the uh, encampments and moving people into these um, rest villages, et cetera. So the city has come and said, what could the churches do to help? So I think wisely this group of, of outreach pastors have wisely said, unleashing a bunch of uh, do good, but maybe not that experienced people into those encampments is gonna be nothing but um, trouble. It's not necessarily gonna help. It's gonna maybe cause more harm than good. So the idea has been, what could we do to come alongside 40 different agencies all the faith-based ones that you'd be familiar with, Portland Rescue Mission, Union Gospel Mission, um, Transitional Youth, City Team, but also many, many, many of the mainstream, not faith-based organizations that wake up every day thinking about how do we serve our neighbors and friends that are houseless. So we've, we've, we've formed a houseless care collective at the request, well, they just said, what can you do to help? We said, let's form a collective. We've had a number of meals where we've just honored the leadership and staff of these organizations. One, like, like surprise, surprise, they don't always get along well with each other. They maybe have different philosophies about what is the best way to get somebody out of houselessness. They feel that they're competing for government funds or donations. And so we've said, we think this is a Christ-like thing to do is to get them into a room regularly 
And so we've had a number of meals where we've just put on a beautiful meal and have just brought them there with, do, to do nothing but say, thank you. You are in the trenches every day, loving and serving this community. Some of us don't know quite to do. You're doing that. So the Houseless Care Collective is basically about let's come alongside and serve those that are serving and the direct, that are the direct service providers. So basically this summer, we st so basically started a few days ago. This summer, June, July, August, with the city, we're declaring like a summer of service. And what we're basically doing is asking every church possible, about 100 churches, including Door of Hope, have said, we'd like to do something. So on the um, uh, Together PDX website, there are ways that uh, a, a church could say, we're gonna come alongside transitional youth, for example, and, uh, and do some staff appreciation sorts of things, maybe in some cases do some beautification of their spaces and then help, we're gonna be producing as a collective of churches, thousands and thousands of kits that are customized for the different agencies. Some that would say, we are directly serving houseless folks, so we need X, Y, and Z to be put together in these kits. And so River West Church, for example, is partnering with Union Gospel Mission, I think it is. They're producing 500 kits to their specification. Um, and some of them would be kits for those that are transitioning from the streets into an apartment what are the things that they need? So it's simple, practical things that don't put um, people into risky situations or things that might not help, but we hope also create a longer-term solution and put the church in a serving posture, which I think is a good, healthy place for us. Mm -hmm. So this summer, um, I'm not sure if Door of Hope has yet, you know, maybe decided what you could do, but if that's something you're interested in, come to Josh or other staff and say, like, I'd be willing to do something simple. At Cedar Mill Bible Church, where I'm on the elder team, we're gonna do at the uh, last Saturday in June, we're doing, we're gonna hope to get about 50 of our folks together and um, produce, I think, 100 of these kits. It'll just be something fun we can do, and then we're gonna go do a beautification at the agency that we're doing. So we're doing that, and then to kind of to celebrate in the middle of summer, and to just be physically together, 100 different churches, we're gonna go to Waterfront Park, the bowl area, they're across from the Marriott, and we've got Matt Redmond coming in and Mike Dean from Imago Dei Eastside, who's a great worship leader, is putting together a beautiful, diverse worship team of Portland churches. And with Matt Redmond, we're just going to worship together down at Waterfront Park on Sunday, July 23rd for a couple hours and use that also to kind of celebrate and keep casting vision for what can we as a group of 100 churches do to make a difference in Portland related to the houseless crisis. Yeah, and we want to be a part of that, of course. So... Uh, which is which is awesome well hey i would love um evan did is there any questions that and are they are they emailed uh are, you already sent them to me okay cool oh yeah yeah no let me uh all right well um yeah it's it it's as the weather gets nice, I can feel that the weather's nice tonight. Uh, and uh, which cool is that this is, so uh, Kevin, you may not know, but we took a break from community groups. So I've asked every community group leader as we're trying to think through how do we, how do we pour into uh, the church and get on the same page for vision for in all these different arenas. So this is the end of a little Sunday evening service, which has been really fun. Um, Okay, uh, the first question is, are there ways to serve the city that you are currently seeing as needing more attention, um, things that are being overlooked? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would absolutely say that because it's so paralyzing to drive by 
the houseless encampments, and most of us, I think, I, I know that I feel paralyzed a lot of times. I don't know what to do. So it's encouraging to me to have this SHARE PDX team that's made up of full-time staff of churches that are, that are actually sitting down. So they have sat down with all 40 of these agencies that collectively represent hundreds of full-time paid staff that wake up every day, some Jesus followers, most not, um, that are professional and, and, and when you say they know what they're doing, I don't know that anybody knows any simple solutions to tackle the crisis that we're in, yeah. but at least there are those that are, that are in those spaces. So I would say it's clearly the most visible place of need, and I would say anything that you can do to support that effort this summer. And then in some cases, these agency have, agencies have ongoing needs. So to me, that's why we've put that forward as the primary visible way in this summer of service. But, but uh, the foster care system is constantly in need as well, and every child is an amazing response of the church. It's now become a 501c3, you can go to the website, Many, many people that are not necessarily Jesus followers, this is how they engage as volunteers in the foster care system. But this um, uh, effort originally grew out of this same collective of churches. So I would always say houselessness, foster care, um, the refugee community. So we have thankfully um, organized efforts of Jesus followers that represent a whole collective of churches that are doing the hard work of discovering where our practical places we can serve. And the good news is all this stuff can be found at togetherpdx.org. Yeah. Some of the hard work's been done of pre-identifying places you can jump in. I, I can think of two more too. And just so you guys know, I, I, in fact, I just want to throw it out there. Um, I was talking with Duncan Campbell, um, the Friends of the Children, and then Faithful Friends, which is the faith-based the faith version. They're actually looking for a new um, person to uh, new president, essentially. I mean, Duncan, Duncan, you know, uh, contacted me, and we incubated it at Door of Hope. And the first person that led it actually was our outreach pastor. So it was very easy to be very engaged because Anna Clitheroe at the time, you know, we used Door of Hope to produce the volunteers to do the faithful friends, and we were able to kind of get it figured out in house. Um, it's a little hard for me to keep my head around it when I don't have someone on staff that's sort of focalized on that. Um, but they, they just said, do you know, they even asked Darcy, like, would you consider being running Faithful Friends? She's like, no. <laughs> but, but if that's something you'd be interested in, but Faithful Friends is always looking for, I mean, they, they have, they, I think they told me, they, I think Max told me, um, who goes to Dwarf Hope, uh, that there's like 40 or 50 kids right now waiting for waiting for mentors. Um, so that's a, one that we're very invested in. Um, another one, I just got a call. Um, I, I just literally heard the voicemail today because I've been traveling the last two weeks, uh, is um, Tom Cole, the, who, Judge Tom, um, his daughter was brutally murdered um, uh, by, a meth, by a meth addict, uh, her drug dealer. Um, and it actually sent him into a journey of not only forgiveness of her daughter's, his daughter's murderer, but an actual deep concern for drug addiction and helping people get 
uh, and so he, d he did this thing called um, drug court, I drug court. Um, but then it kind of moved into prison ministry. And the new, um, he just handed over the ministry to a new guy. And I'm, I, um, I met him years ago. I don't know his name. I can't remember his name. Um, but I'm, I'm going to meet with him. And that's another one that I'm, I'm really, in I've always been interested. I mean, it's kind of hard to deny things when Jesus said, and when I was in prison, you visited me. Um, but he's looking for opportunities for people from churches to go and basically do Bible studies in the prisons or even just go and just be relationally available, which I think is a really exciting uh, I think ministry. they actually even have like a, you can get a seminary degree now as a prisoner and they're doing actually seminary level classes within yeah. Prisons yeah. in so I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. Obviously, we're connected with with a lot of that. But I think I think looking at Dwarf Hope's partners, um, looking at together um, PDX, and uh, and we're going to be really thinking too as a staff. I mean, it can be easy. So many things are happening that um, ministries that we support. Um, just making sure that we're keeping what's happening before you, so that you know how you can be engaged. Um, uh, it's, it says, "What is your current vision of service and evangelism?" Um, for Portland, um, any specific ways we can pray? What, what you didn't mention, Kevin, on that event, there, there is going to be a gospel presentation. Yes, sorry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah. Even though it's, it's, it's a worship event, it'd be crazy to be down in Waterfront Park uh, with, with hopefully several thousand people and not declare the good news of Jesus Christ in the open air. And you guys still do this at Colonel Summers Park? We are, we're we still? Gonna, we're going to start actually just a couple weeks. I was just so. reminding my wife Michelle yeah. as we came by and said like I think that's where they do, where they do that. So um, what, the way we're going to do it there is we're going to find an amazing testimony. I've, I've begun to spread the word. We want to find a young person, maybe a w young woman, let's say a Portlander, who's come to faith in Jesus in the last year or so, and and just interview that person, let the gospel come out from a Portlander just describing the radical change mm -hmm. that the gospel makes, and then my brother Andrew will get up and just. Pretty short and sweet, just say, that might be you in some way, shape, or form. You may be searching, you may have drifted away, and just call for people to follow Jesus. So there will be a declaration of the good news and a chance for people to follow Christ, yeah. which is awesome. It's going to be a beautiful time. Yeah, and, and I've been thinking um, about that. One thing you can pray, definitely pray for that event. Um, I'd be praying for Church in the Park, which will start soon. We're going we're gonna to do it on Sunday nights this year, um, and we're going to be doing it in... Um, partnership with Door of Hope Northeast. So we'll be switching back and forth. We're just going to do, we're only doing nine weeks and we're going to do it through, we're going to basically do it. You're not doing it on the 23rd of July, right? Well, you can well, all be done. No, no, okay. we'll, 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 we'll skip. We will, we'll take a break. Um, uh, but it's, uh, we're very flexible here at Door of Hope uh, <laughs> because I am not a calendar man. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, we're, we're going to do the, uh, the fruit of the spirit, which is going to be really awesome. And, and I'm really wanting uh, us to be thinking in terms of, of uh, I want us to be a little more um, uh, intentional on inviting people in the parks to come and join us. Um, I, I, that's not something we've, I mean, I, people have done it. And in the early days, people just did it of their own accord. But I feel like that's kind of kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. And so um, I've even been thinking I'm going to do a little, maybe like a little training on like what that could look like. How do you actually go engage people and invite them in? Uh, and, uh, and then the other thing is I'm going to be doing um, a short little tour with um, Josh Garrels in the UK um, for one week. Um, and I'm speaking at a large festival, but we're toying with that. 
what we wanted to explore was what would it look like to utilize Deeper Well um, kind of concert slash evangelism. Um, and so we're going to play with that. He's uh, The main draw will be Josh because I just turned 50 and I feel like I have to put my guitar down now. Um, and uh, so, uh, but I, I'm still going to play. But we're, but mainly it's going to be, I'm going to be sharing and Josh is going to be performing. And so, uh, and the exciting thing about that is I, I already asked him, I'm like, would you consider doing something, let's do something in Portland, like at, Al, like at, the um, like Alberta theater, like we did. What's the um, Aladdin? Um, but where it's a where it's a real concert in, in a venue. But where you know we always do our deeper well concerts uh, in venues. But we're not necessarily doing like a full on like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give people the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And I think that I think the more we can begin to push into those what feel like uncomfortable zones um, are. are a very exciting way to not only serve the city, we want to serve the city practically, but we want to serve the city by being faithful to our witness as well. So um, be praying for all of that. Um, this, uh, this next question, uh, if the Apostle Paul was here today, how do you think he might serve or evangelize differently than the way that we do today? <laughs> Boy, I mean, if you, look, yeah, if you look at what Paul actually did, He'd probably be one of those street preachers that we would kind of that you kind of like veer around. To be really honest, I mean, if you look at the style um, of, of the way he did it, I, I think he did it in the worst of the street preachers. They're not engaging in dialogue at all. They're just literally screaming at people. But he would be in public places, very boldly declaring the good news. Maybe trying to find a way to connect. But he didn't have the benefit that we have. Of, of even in a place like Portland, thousands upon thousands of genuine Jesus followers that are genuinely here. Yeah. Um, he didn't have any of that. And he, and so it, I felt like it seems like if you look at the evangelism of the early church, and one of the things I noticed with Paul is that Paul would go into the city. He would go to places of learning, and he would engage. Uh, he would engage intellectually, <laughs> uh, and. And people would gather because he would take on, I mean, you think about Mars Hill, uh, not Mars Hill, the church that we know about, that's a podcast, but the actual place that the church was named after. Um, Paul is engaging with the philosophers uh, and, and, he is, and he is challenging their, their philosophical system with the gospel. But really, you know how he did it? He planted churches. Uh, because people would hear him and they would start following him and they would get saved and he would literally just plant endless communities of churches. And so, uh, which is, I, I actually, I, one of the key ways that we want to is we're finally seeing the, you know, the, the change of direction after COVID and the church, you know, getting its legs again is that is like the thing I wake up burdened with the most is I want us to be back on task and thinking if we really want to serve our city and see our city transform. We need to be serious about planting more churches uh, throughout the city. Yeah, I think I think you're you're exactly right. And and those very churches were legitimately sought in light. They, it was the live such good lives among the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So I mean he. It was, in a way, that word and deed approach. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have bifurcated like, like you said. It just would have been, how can you be a Jesus follower and not both share the hope that you have within you and live such an amazing life that people, in the radical love and hospitality that you have. So you're right. It was forming these communities of, of Jesus followers all over the place. It was amazing what he was able to accomplish. Yeah, I'd just been reading um, some early, uh, early writings from like this, the, the first century 
around Romans that were basically like Pliny, the elder was like, like the, it was in the second century, the, like these Christians, they like take care of, they, one of the things that they did that, would, that got noticed in the Roman Empire was that they took care of the people. If, if you were handicapped or you were, I mean, a woman, you were, any, any person that was a those marginalized people group were just basically dehumanized and ignored and Christians made them a priority. Um, and it was such a, it was such a profound thing. I just got back actually, I, I um, taught a men's retreat this, this weekend um, for a church in Eugene, Ecclesia, um, that my friend Wesley Town um, planted. And it has a very similar parallel to Door of Hope. And what I loved is that they also, like we have our, all our guys that come from Union Gospel Mission, and, and um, I've always been a heart, I want them to be a part of the community, and they have a big group of guys. I mean, these guys, it was amazing. I was sharing about my dad, and it was like, there was a group of men that all looked like they had killed somebody. Um, and they, were, they had 100 times more tattoos than me. A lot, several of them were like missing just like all their teeth. And I started talking about my dad, I'm like, are they mad at me? And then I looked down and like the biggest, most terrifying guy, he literally is just sobbing like a baby in the front row. And I was just like, this is a beautiful picture of a church serving its community um, because it's taking the unwanted and the broken and the hurting, the ex-addict who's lost everything and, and allowing them. And I think we're doing that as a church, but I think we could do more. Um, and I loved how motley that crew was. Uh, and I did take pictures of all their um, terrible tattoos, uh, which is what I'd like to offer to you for free. Um, so, <laughs> um, I, I like this. I, I, I feel like Kevin's answer, you've answered this. How, how do you think the church should approach um, the homelessness crisis in the, in the city? And I, I like what you said. Like, we're not going to just calling the church to just enter into the camps. And I think it's complex. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I know way too many very genuinely smart people, academically proficient, years of actually serving in, the, in that with that population, that if they're honest, are just saying like, we don't think there is any easy or quick solution. So yeah. it, it's hard. That's the reason I think for us to come alongside those people. When, they're, when you're in the trenches and you're devoting your life to something that you feel like, despite all your efforts, is maybe going to get worse, that is very hard to live with. Mm -hmm. When we had the conversation with, in the foster care system, it was a similar thing. When we first went in, we just went in to say, thank you for serving our most vulnerable kids. I can't imagine how hard it is. And, and the first woman I, that managed the East Multnomah County DHS office, she burst into tears just because a group of pastors and leaders went in to see her and her staff to say thank you we know this must be hard work. I didn't really know that much, but I know that they're in the, every time something bad happens on the front page of the paper, they're attacked all the time. She did not know what to do with people coming in and just acknowledging, good job, we're for you. And, and I think that that's, simple as that might seem, I think that's really important to keep people in the game, so to speak, as opposed to quitting over and over and over. These agencies are constantly having, experiencing high turnover, just like Teachers, I mean, all these frontline workers, so to speak, that's really what they are, really need support. And I think that's a great place for the church. I also think it, it becomes a place of being able to bear direct verbal witness to the gospel, too. Yeah. I certainly had those opportunities. And, I mean, you guys, there's one of the things that can be so frustrating, can make us not want to, it can make you not want to serve, is when you're um, a part of a city 
that's so progressive in its policies that it actually thinks that it's okay to allow people to possess a drug as powerful as fentanyl, which is essentially like giving, sometimes I'm like, is this some sort of, I start feeling conspiracy theory like, like is our city actually trying to exterminate a whole group of people under the guise of compassion um, because we've decriminalized a drug that can, that's 60 times more powerful than morphine. Um, it's a terrifying thing. And our, our mental illness crisis, it's, it's, I would say is directly connected to, my speculation is it has far more to do with the drug addiction than it does anything else. Um, not that they don't come from broken past and all that, but we, we do have, we, it's an uphill battle when you're dealing with policies that have made it possible um, for people to camp without consequences. How do you serve them? Is it good for me to give them a meal if a meal's just helping them kill themselves? And I, I know those are complex questions, but what I love that Kevin's saying is like, hey, it, all I know is I'm glad that somebody's trying to make a difference in this. And if it, the best I can do is, is let those people know that they're loved and we're praying for them. And I, I honestly think one of the best things we could do uh, Tim Mackey blew my mind this week on a passage. I, I can't get it out of my head. Um, and it, it just can't even just now, like probably the best thing we could do first and foremost, which is pray. I mean, really pray, really begin to pray that God intercedes um, in, in kind of the blindness of bad. Like we want policies to change. Why don't we pray for that? Like begin to pray that God would change the vision. Um, but he was sharing how Moses on the top of Sinai, when God is angry and he says, um, they've made a golden calf, I'm going to kill all of them <laughs> and I'm going to start over with you. And it's a really baffling thing, but he basically, the, our translation doesn't do the Hebrew justice, um, but Tim's like, as we've looked at the, the words used, um, when God's like, he's like, you know, get out of my way, I'm going to do this. And Moses... Moses intervenes, he, begins, he mediates, like, don't forget your covenant to your people. It ends with God asking Moses a question, but it's not framed in our English translations correctly. But essentially what Tim said, the Hebrew is essentially saying, I'm really mad, Moses. I'm frustrated with the situation. What are you going to do about my anger? And he was like, now I want you to think about that. What does that mean? And, and it's almost like the Hebrew, te the, what is, how did the rabbis teach? How did God respond to, J to Job? Like he asks a question and God doesn't answer the question. He says, let me ask you a question. And essentially what Tim said, the point is, is that God in his sovereignty is inviting human participation in the heavenly council. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and isn't that the story of redemptive history is mediation. Um, we are called to mediate on behalf of those who can't. I did it for my dad. I never really thought about the fact that I could be doing that for everybody. <laughs> like, like, I just get mad when I see tent cities. I'm not going to lie. I just get angry. I'm like, you know what I think they should do? I think they should get rid of them and they should not be allowed. <laughs> and, and I want to care for those people, but I'm like, that is not the answer. Um, and it's going, to, it's going to create in Portland what happened to Detroit. That's, that's my fear. Um, so there's a, the Portland citizen side of me that's like, 
the compassion is beginning to really, really like shrink down. Um, and that message this week really reminded me, man, if we just began by praying, Evan once sent me a quote by Jacques Ellul. He said, would it, what would have happened if the church in World War II would have started by praying against the demonic reality of Hitler's regime instead of praying over the soldiers as they went out to kill them? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's like, do we actually believe that prayer works? So I, I don't think Kevin or I are qualified to give a complete robust answer on what you can do about homelessness, but I do know one thing for sure. We can serve the people that we come in contact with by loving them and not treating them like projects. And number two, we can be praying that God intervenes and we can be honest that we don't know what to do. Lord, help us. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a great question though. Um, Final question, and then we will we'll pray. Look at this. We're, we're on time, guys. Uh, how do you get past the it's hard part of speaking up about Jesus? It's scary to share, but I also feel ashamed that I'm not sharing enough. I love, Kevin, that you said, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't yeah. go down to... And he's the president of an evangelistic association. Uh, what does Paul say? When Paul said... I'll, I'll answer this, because I... Cause this is something that I care deeply about. Uh, first of all, I think the only way to, uh, to overcome the fear of sharing Jesus with others, this is the only way. The only way I overcame my fear of getting up and singing in front of an audience the first time, and believe me, it was terrifying, and my voice cracked so bad. I was singing with my mom because I was going through puberty that I literally walked off the stage in shame and sat down in the front row before the song was over. But I still got up there. You know why I got up there? Is because my love of music surpassed my fear of performing it. We will not share Jesus with anyone if we don't really believe, first of all, that he loves us, <laughs> um, because why would we share the love of Christ with other people if we don't believe he loves us? Number two, uh, if we don't recognize uh, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I shared this with the guys this morning, God has sent his comforter into our lives. When we become born again, there is a certain liberation that happens to the believer's life. And the more freedom we have, the more responsibility we have to, to steward that freedom. And Jesus will give us the power to share, but like Moses, you still gotta step into the Red Sea before it's gonna part. And so I think the question, it begins with the right affections. Uh, if you're terrified to talk about Jesus with another person, uh, begin by just, there's no, I don't want you to be ashamed um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, uh, why does he say that? Because, because fear um, and shame, he, he speaks out what is the against the natural inclination. But why is he not ashamed? Because if we read later, what does he say in another letter? For it is the love of Christ that compels me. Yeah, it compels us. Um, and so I think proper affection, but then there is a... Um, there's, there's a responsibility. Our responsibility as Christians is to surrender ourselves to the will of Christ. 
That's how one is filled with the Spirit. You're not getting more of the Spirit, the Spirit's getting more of you. Um, and I think the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you will not be able to be silent about him. And you're, you know, you're not, you're not gonna, it's probably not, not gonna be Louis, the next Louis Plow. I hope you are though. Um, I hope you are, that would be amazing. Um, man, I miss your dad. Uh, but I, I think that the, the, the fact is, is that these people out here are hurting and, and you will be shocked at how open people are to the gospel. Um, I have, I am, I'm never ceased to be amazed that when I tell people I'm a pastor, I keep waiting for someone to like, like just snub me or yell at me or even take a swing or something. Uh, it's never happened. I've had people be rude, but it's very, very seldom. Usually people are curious. They're like, cause they, that's the benefit of being in a truly post-Christian city. They don't really have anything to gate, especially young people. Like my, all my kids' friends, they don't. They've never been to church in their lives. They don't, they don't have, they're not angry about it. Um, they're not, literally just not thinking about it. So maybe if we actually talked to them, they would start thinking about it. Um, so if Jesus, uh, you know, Chesterton once said, um, you don't get courage so that you can go f um, fight. Uh, he says, you find something worth dying for um, encourages the outcome. So, uh, and I think that the gospel is worth dying for. Yeah. Well, um, with that, hey, can we give a hand to Kevin for coming tonight? Yeah. And uh, um, you guys, thank you for just taking, I, I, this is not a normal rhythm for Door of Hope to have evening. And I've just been so encouraged, at, especially I see so many leaders out here, like just for making for when I asked you to make it a priority that you did, and it really means a lot um, to us. And um, it's got us thinking a lot about utilizing um, different spaces in the week to, to help growth. Um, and a week at Mount Angel talking about ministry has got me thinking a lot about, I'm ready to implement 25 new things next week. I haven't even told Kevin about it yet. <laughs> I just called you Kevin, Evan. We, we have jokingly called Evan Kevin for years, but I actually never have. I don't think I've ever really called you that, but I did it accidentally because I'm sitting next to Kevin. That's, that's I'm, I'm tired too. Um, no, that's not true. But I do want us to be praying about how we can further equip our community to be more effective in these things. So let me let me pray um, uh, pray over you and pray. Let's pray for Kevin together. Um, so Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Um, I, I just thank you for Kevin and uh, just having been able to travel um, around the U.S. with this man and do so much ministry with him and with his family um, and with the Palau Association. And I I every time I know Door of Hope is grateful um, even for. Uh, that opportunity because I come back so excited about the gospel um, because of how this organization has been a window um, for me into the fact that you are still powerfully working in the world. Um, and I just pray that, Lord, last year, I don't remember what it was, but I think it was over a million decisions um, for you, Jesus, through the work of the Palau Association globally. That is incredible. Um, and we are so grateful as a church to be able to partner um, with them. And I just pray continued blessing on Kevin, wisdom on how uh, to balance that uh, that. Uh, combination of looking for new places to do festivals, but also helping communities gather pastors together 
um, to, to more effectively serve and, and uh, serve the city as well as bring the gospel. Uh, and I just pray that you would bless this organization and all that he does, his family. He's a grandpa now, just bless him. Um, and Lord, I just thank you for a door of hope. And it's just so good to be home and to see, um, see my family. Uh, and I just pray um, that we would be inspired um, with not only a hunger to know you more, but a hunger to see the lost come to a saving knowledge of you. Increase our love for you. Holy Spirit, we invite you um, to inflame our hearts and to redirect our minds to King Jesus again and again. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, I love you guys. Thank you for being here tonight.